Product managers give 100% of themselves to their customers. But who's there for the PM? The Product Management Center at the University of Washington. It's a global hub for knowledge, community, and impact. I'm Jeff Schulman, founding director of the Product Management Center and your host on this show, How to Succeed in Product Management. Each week, I'm joined by my co-host, Red, and some of the best product managers in the business. Together, we're having candid conversations that help you understand the challenges that a product manager faces, how they overcome them, and the tools and frameworks that will help you thrive in the role. So let's start the show. Welcome, everybody. My name is Jeff Schulman, and I am the founding director of the Product Management Center here at the University of Washington. And we are developing a more diverse, inclusive, and skilled product management community Part of our efforts, just one small part, is that we're here every single week with inclusive product management champions, Red and Sumeya, who together we share and bring and learn some product management insights from some of the best in the business. And each week we have a different focus. Our focus this week, Sumeya and Red, drumroll please, e-commerce product management and e-commerce. We had such an engaging conversation last week when we dove into the specifics of what's different about product management in gaming that I wanted to continue the run and do an industry-specific conversation. So, Red, I'm going to put you on the spot. Tell people how they can get involved in today's conversation about product management in e-commerce. Absolutely. And for those who can't make it tonight, That's okay, too, because you're probably listening to this as a podcast. So for everyone who is here tonight, this is the coolest part. You can dive in right now into our Slack group. I'm going to put a little pin at the top of this clubhouse to join Slack, and you can get engaged. You can ask questions. Or guess what? In about 25, 30 minutes, you're going to have the opportunity to ask questions on stage live with our hosts as well as in that little chat button there on the screen. But fear not, my friends out there in podcast land, if you are equally as interested in joining this community and asking questions after the fact, you can always join that Slack community by just pinging me on Twitter, send a carrier pigeon. If you want to fax me, I don't have a fax number, but that would be a cool challenge to take up. In general, uh, Jeff, I get pinged every single day for PMs around the world that want to be included in what is not traditionally an inclusive community, that which is product management. But lucky for us, You started Product Management Center at University of Washington, and you gave us the opportunity to help out with that mission. So with that in mind, I pass the mic back to you, and hopefully you did start recording this so everyone else could listen in and join the community after the fact. I am ready to start recording. See, I switched it up a little bit. (laughs) Red, thanks for the enthusiasm. Love it. Now I want to hear from each of our guests, and then Sumeya is going to tie a bow on it as to why this is a conversation that everybody can enjoy, even if you are not in e-commerce or uh, considering it yet. So Sumeya, you'll be on deck for that. But first, Jason, tell us a little bit about who you are. Thank you, Jeff. Very excited to be here. I've been doing product management for the last 12 plus years. Eight years of that was from Amazon. I started in the Amazon retail world, um, and then transitioned to the third-party marketplace. So I've done e-commerce technology from both B2C, B2B, and also B2B2C. Currently, I just started as a director of product at Walmart. All right. So glad to have you here. We're going to dive into e-commerce and background in Amazon and Walmart. I think you have a handle on that. So looking forward to hearing you from you on that. Jen, another person who has a, a handle on e-commerce product management. Tell us a little bit about yourself. 
Yeah, let's see here. So I have also, I've been in product management since the 90s. My first e-commerce experience was actually building out the first ever Nintendo.com and I built out their first ever B2C site. So there's some fun old stories from there. But most of my career was actually in travel e-commerce. And while I've worked with, and most of that was at Expedia, I have worked with a number of e-commerce companies outside of travel as well as in travel. And so it's, it's fun to compare notes across industries. I always enjoy these opportunities. All right. Thank you. And also a teacher here at the University of Washington's Foster School of Business, Jen, you buried the, the exciting part, or at least my exciting part, that you have educated the next generation here at the Foster School of Business. So thank you for that. That's true. And I love it. I should have mentioned that. You're absolutely right. Just wrapped up a bonus spring quarter. So yes, we got, what, 150 or so uh, folks through that course since, uh, since Christmas. It was awesome. Pretty amazing. So thanks for being here. Sumeya, now it's your turn. Tell us a little bit about yourself and why should everybody keep listening, even though we're talking about a specific industry of e-commerce? Uh, thanks, Jeff. Fun fact, unlike Craig, who's going to share a very interesting one uh, soon, I have zero e-commerce experience. And so this show is really exciting to me because I feel that I'm going to learn a lot today. For anyone in e-commerce, obviously learning from people who have a lot of experience in the in the industry is always valuable. But I'm going to just speak quickly to people like me who don't have that much experience. The things I'm looking to learn from are a couple. One, I feel that e-commerce, or at least they have the pre preconceived notion that in the e-commerce world, a lot of what we think about in B2B is marketing is tightly integrated in the day-to-day -day work of product. And so I'm curious to learn more about that. And two, when we're talking about experimentation and doing it at scale and designing small experiments that you get to learn from and how those can lead to bigger features, I'd love to hear about the nuance of how that happens in the e-commerce world where you're doing transactions and where finance is truly embedded in every part of, not in every part, but is embedded in the consumer offering. So interested to hear about some of those things that I don't get to see in the B2B world. All right. And I love the enthusiasm from Red and Sumeya who are here every single week for you, the people in the audience and the people listening on every major podcasting app where this is found. All right. So now I want to dive into what I thought was really cool is last week, you know, product management, a big emphasis is on choosing the right metrics. And last week we learned about the metrics that matter in gaming. And now I want to hear about the metrics that you're tracking in e-commerce. And you could start, uh, if there's any sort of order, whether you want to go chronological or order of importance or reverse chronological, what are the metrics that, that are on your mind as a PM as you're developing e-commerce? Jason, do you want to take that first? Yeah, I can start. So basically, we start with the whole arm, acquisition, activation, retention, and monetization. And starting from the top most, we're in, like, what is the overall traffic, right? So from the... The total acquisition, like what's what's the acquisition rate? Like what is our traffic in terms of impressions, in terms of page views, on how many of our customers are coming in? And then from there, um, we went to the activation phase on how many are we able to sign up. From then, we want to activate the retention. With the retention, how many of them are coming back for purchase? Um, and then lastly, with monetization, right? Like with monetization, we take a look at the conversion rate, we look at average order value, 
we look at the shopping cart abandonment rate. So those are the top three things um, you would look at. But overall, it's a customer life cycle that you look at. And then from that life cycle, from the top till the end, you review all of those and what are those metrics. Outside of that, there's a focus on, on the customer. So there are come up, especially with customer lifetime value, which is basically what is the total revenue for an e-commerce company that we could expect from a single customer throughout their lifetime, right? And that is one of the topmost strategy for Prime. Prime was developed to basically, how can the customer keep on coming back to Amazon? It started with two-day shipping, and then from there, free Kindle books, free videos, free everything. So for them to keep on coming back from all of their lifetime. And diving into the weeds real quick, and then Jen, I want to hear what else you have to add. Any specifics on how you calculate the lifetime value? Because I understand there's plenty of assumptions that need to be made about when they showed up, how long you think they'll be there, what their retention rate, and what cluster you put them in. So any specifics you can give as to how you're capturing the lifetime value and, and putting it in a way that you could track it over time? Yeah, that's a great question. How I did it was the average value of a purchase, multiply it with how many times the customer buys in a year. So you have to have a time frame, right? Because customers can keep coming back in the first month to the second month. So at least from an overall value, I've taken a look at over a year. And then you multiply it with the average length of the customer relationship in years, right? So like, for example, if, if looking at a five, 10 year cycle, like how many times have this customer come back? So again, average value of a purchase times the customer will buy in each year times the average length of the customer relationship. So it's really a long-term, very strategic metric that most product managers take a look at and review. Thank you, Jason. Jen, anything to add? Any other metrics that are on your mind or any other ways that you're capturing some of the, the metrics that he touched upon? Yeah. So I love this is where it's so fun to do this compare and contrast. So first of all, completely concur with everything Jason said. That is the real like core metric set that any e-commerce product manager is looking at. Where I would complement that or supplement that is with a couple of things. So one is for many products, especially if they are content rich experiences. In some of the businesses I've worked on, we had to really tease apart who was an active shopper and to, how did we identify intent to purchase, which I think is incorporated in some of the pirate metrics that Jason was describing. But I've had many times when people were focused on users as their metric for some analysis they were doing, and they weren't really stripping out and focusing just on those who had expressed some sort of intent to either shop or buy. So that is one that we've learned in the past that we often really have to focus in on. You know, many of the companies I work with are selling high ticket travel items. And as a result, that is very commonly a multi-visit journey. Very few people buy, especially for like a you know, a hard to refund multi-thousand dollar vacation package, unusual that someone shows up and then consummates that transaction in the same session. And so we have to really dig in to understand how are we going to figure out where somebody might be in their purchase journey so that we can basically make smarter product decisions based on that. And then the last piece of the puzzle I'd throw in, and I'd be curious if Jason ever plays around with a version of this, is so many, especially in travel, uh, but so many companies, what they're doing is 
yes, we absolutely focus on conversion and average order value, but for companies that are also trying to upsell in their purchase path and cross-sell in their purchase path, they get kind of excited about attach rates. So the idea of like, hey, what percent of one company I work with, they are in car hire. So what percentage of customers added the insurance product? Airlines like that one too. And what can happen is one metric can easily drag on another. So you might do a great job about increasing conversion, but dramatically lower the attach rate. And so I like to play around with metrics that are things like gross profit per shopper, but they get a little wonky, I find. You know, they do a nice job of letting us optimize balancing conversion and attach rate and average order value, but not everyone finds them completely understandable. So those are the things that I would sort of supplement what Jason had to say there. I have a quick question. One metric I was surprised to not have heard about is MPS because it shows up a lot in software, whether, you know, direct to consumer kind of software or B2B software. Curious to see or hear from you about maybe scenarios where that metric becomes important or if it, if it is at all. Jason, do you want to go first on this one or do you want me to take a swing? Um, you can go ahead and then I'll all right. more. Well, I will tell you, we could probably, you guys, I realize I've been absent from Clubhouse for a while. I apologize. If you haven't had an NPS session, we could probably do an NPS session and have quite the lively chat. For the businesses I work on, there's both, there's times when NPS is being used well. I have worked with many companies that candidly, the way they use NPS isn't as insightful as I wish it could be. But usually what we're first and focused on in e-commerce is get that sale done and then we can talk about how we're gonna get the subsequent sale. So you're right that purchase retention and sort of product success are absolutely things we spend time on. But for most of the e-commerce product managers I work with, they are super focused on that funnel first. Jason, does that line up with your experience or do you have a compare and contrast there? Absolutely. I think you're spot on, Jen. NPS or um, Net Promoter Score, it's mostly used for, at least from my experience, from a B2B standpoint. We've had a similar metric that we've done back in Amazon for our customers for B2C. And the metric is called RFM, Recency, Frequency, and Monetary. So it's very similar in terms of what is the overall rating for that particular customer. But this is more outside of the customer and the transaction versus how this customer would be a promoter or a more detractor. Hopefully that helps me. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much. And then one last question, and I'll turn it over to Jeff. So when we talk about just in general, the field of product management in e-commerce, obviously there are two products. There are like the channel or the website where people go and get the product. So that's a product in itself. And then there are the products that the site sells. Can you talk a little bit about you know, what's the interaction between those two product functions? What does that look like organizationally? Yeah, I can start and obviously I'll pass the baton over to Jason. And um, I do love, it's really fun that we come from our experiences because we fun to compare and contrast. Most of the companies that I work with, what is intriguing is exactly what you said, is that in many respects, they are largely channel product managers. They are the ones who are on the e-commerce side are responsible for does the website sell our thing? And then oftentimes we're selling a service. Are we selling the service we set out to do? 
rinse and repeat for apps, you know, apps and how are the apps holding up? And then of course, there's so much beneath the surface, right? So many platforms and all kinds of capabilities that also have to be thought through from a product management point of view. And one of the natural creative tensions we encounter often, and it's so different company to company, is who's responsible for the actual thing that the customer is buying? And when does that thing feel like a product? When does that thing feel like a service? And who is ultimately accountable for the quality of that? And I've seen it answered in almost every different permutation you can imagine from the product manager of a given segment. And this is where it'll be fun to ask Jason about his Amazon experience. So I've had it where, you know, a product manager owned a segment and they really had a very holistic kind of end-to-end ownership of that experience and quality all the way through. I have worked with many companies where it's like, nope, this person, I'll pick on rental cars again, where it's, or airlines are easy, right? Where it's like, nope, they are really responsible for the digital journey of getting that plane ticket booked, but they're not responsible for, you know, the in-flight experience. And so I find it really varies company by company in terms of how that gets sliced up. Jason, what's been your experience? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, by the way, I didn't I didn't share. I was with Expedia too. It would be interesting to hear if uh, we would have overlapped. But yeah, I was in the um, advertising organization over at Expedia. That, so I was able to relate to some of the things with the, the rental, with the in-flight experience. So I did. Uh, it was fun times. But to, to add to what Jen have said, it really, at least from Amazon, it's more of a the the user experience. And, and again, looking back to what Amazon's mission, it's, it's not really retail, it's not really AWS, but it's more of like the, the most customer-centric company in the world. So with that, uh, most of the ownership of the product uh, is based on the experience. There are people that own the, the homepage. There are people who own uh, in the search, what we call platform teams. We're in, there's a search, there's a homepage, there's the order experience. And then there are also teams that owns per categories, per verticals. So, uh, but overall, the underlying ownership and experience of where a product manager would come in is, is based on the actual life cycle, the actual experience of that particular customer. All right. This transitions to my favorite topic. It's just like organizational structure of PMs and also the PM's career. So I'm curious, you know, what are the different kinds of PMs within e-commerce and what kind of experiences should you try to get if you're going to PM your career? So it's kind of a vague question, but I'd imagine that different product managers will own different aspects of the e-commerce. And I'm curious if you could outline how those are organized, what, what do people generally own? And then what should you try to own over the course of your career if you're in e-commerce to become a well-rounded and onto becoming a product leader? I can start this time and then pass it to Jen. I started more on the marketing and merchandise, more on general management. Um, I was able to get an understanding of the overall general management of all the business in terms of a retail. That's where I started in Amazon. After that, I was able to understand the backend technologies and all the tools to power the end-to-end experience or life cycle from viewing a product to buying a product to ordering the product to, to fulfillment. So from what I would suggest is getting an understanding of the industry, how um, all of these works, it can be applied to both the physical good or a service, but getting a, a good understanding of how the business and the industry works and then complement that with how the technology will be able to solve that understanding of that industry and business 
that would definitely help you or someone that is interested to go into e-commerce product management. And I can pick it up from there. So, and it's, you know, it's funny as we're talking about it, we both have experience at these really large e-commerce companies, right? And obviously Amazon's much larger than Expedia, but Expedia has, I think, hundreds of product people now. And I loved something that one of my students said last quarter, which was after their internship, where I said, hey, y'all, I need you to understand when you're new in your product career, right? You're almost never doing product inception, right? You're, you're really going to inherit an existing product. And for most of these large organizations, you're actually going to inherit a feature of a product. You're not going to have a product all to yourself. Usually you'll be inheriting a feature. And it was one of my students who piped up and who was from Amazon and said, actually, you're going to have a feature of a feature. And so that's really true for most folks when they're first getting started. And it's helpful to sort of realize that's okay. Like that's, that's the route for many people. What I find, back to your question, around things to think about, I find that the experience around really understanding how to dig into usage metrics and purchase funnel metrics and identifying friction points, and I realize for some companies that can be more of a design thing, but for the organizations I work with, it's very much on the product manager to be identifying and catching where we think we have a new point of friction that we might want to invest in seeing if we can't sand down to reduce friction in the flow. So an example here would be, I've worked on several sites where, you know, a really basic metric, but one that people kind of forget about is the idea of once you click, the customer has clicked the buy button. This is the final button in the whole thing. They've given you their payment information. They've given you everything you need. They are clicking that final take my money button. And people sometimes lose sight of, well, what percent of people actually get some sort of error after they click that? And for many companies I've worked with, just obsessing over that metric and identifying the hundred different reasons why a transaction fails at that last step, and then learning how to just kind of dig into the root cause and really like just go hunt down each reason why it's happening. A, it just prints money for the company. It absolutely just prints money. And they also just really learn how to be very, very focused on identifying usage of data and how to go explore a company pretty broad ranging way that will carry them very well in their future ahead. Jason, anything to compare, contrast, add to what Jen just said? Yeah, I think I would more on all of those things. Like it's it's funny, like the feature of a feature, yes, because Amazon has definitely scaled. There's just so many things. It's funny, like how to think of my experience back then, wherein there was part of a page where you own the mid part of the page. So thinking about the feature of a feature, this one is like the all of the experience of the features in a mid middle section of the page. And because uh, the technology is definitely scaled to like got billions and billions of customers that Amazon really wants to hone in and to perfect that customer experience bar, right? So it's it's more, but yes, it's understanding all of those. What are the key tensions? How do you really deep dive? How do you uh, peel those layers? I'm trying to understand, but at the end of the day, be a customer or be a user. I think it, it definitely follows what Amazon's principle of um, what we call um, working backwards, start with the customer and work backwards. Like how would you be able to, how would you want to use this? Or or basically what we called, like how would you love 
using this product or this feature. So understanding all of those basics and then applying all of those metrics that Jen have mentioned, the tension, and then from that pain point, then it would help you develop all those solutions that would eventually be that feature or that particular product or program for you to manage as a, as a product manager. I just realized to build on that so often what I find in e-commerce companies and realize while many of us may have the opportunity to work at Amazon and that's great, many won't. What I find interesting is to help e-commerce product managers, especially those earlier in their career, be inspired by other successful e-commerce companies. There is absolutely no shame at all in testing things that you find e-commerce providers often in other industries are doing. Often I would have teams, both product managers and product designers, who were trying to innovate on something that wasn't our core competence. And I would often give them the instruction of, hey, y'all, go figure out like who is hitting this out of the park and let's test what they are doing on our audience and see if that is going to be a successful strategy for us. And so like, guys, we are not going to be the ones Maybe Amazon is, but most of the rest of us, we're not going to be the ones to pioneer a brand new way to take a credit card. Go figure out who's the best at making it easy to take a credit card and start there. So especially for those who are earlier in their career, I encourage them like be an expert on your functional area and get to know like who's really winning in your functional area out there. And don't be embarrassed at all to be harvesting ideas from those as opposed to trying to pioneer something totally from scratch. All right, I have one last question and then it's Red's show, or maybe it's Red's show and then if nobody else has questions, then you can get to mine. We shall see. My question for Jason and Jen, since you each have uh, many years in e-commerce, I'm curious if there are any trends or changes that you've seen in the philosophy of how product managers think about e-commerce or how they should think about e-commerce. So I'm going to give you a second to kind of chew on that, any trends and changes in the philosophy as it relates to product managers and how they approach e-commerce. But Red, while they're thinking about that, I'll let you welcome people to get their questions answered and then turn to Jason and Jen to answer my question after you're ready. So Red, are you Red E? Bring it on, Jeff. Bring it on. So for everyone who is out there and listening in tonight, thank you again for sticking out the show as far as holding back on asking questions. Because Jeff, by this time, I have people banging down the proverbial technological door hoping they can get their questions answered or slacking me directly. So with that in mind, if you're someone who just really has a question or you have an insight you'd like to share or potentially you like to challenge, oh yes, stoke the controversy. Those who are on stage, please go to the little chat bubble that has red dots or raise your hand and we'll bring you up on stage. We see Wade is already raising his hand, but Jeff, knowing that you wanted to get your question answered, Wade, we're going to bring you up. And uh, Jason, and let's start with you as, as it relates to Jeff's question as we're prepping the crowd. Yeah, thank you so much, Jeff. I think that's a that's a great question. For me, it's three things. One is AI. The second one is AR, like augmented reality. And the last one would be social shopping. These are the key trends that I've seen. And even uh, when I was back in Amazon, we've started to look at and prepare um, in terms of AI. It's basically machine learning, right? Like machine learning and personalization. How can we make it as personalized as possible for that particular buying experience, shopping experience, uh, for that particular customer, for them to eventually come back, right? Um, the next thing is, is, of course, like AR. Augmented reality, it definitely has become a, I would say, key game changer 
before, one of the biggest problems that we've had in Amazon is these huge and bulky stuff, like this big tables, your cabinets, how does this fit? But now you can just point your phone You can in your room. You would be able to see how that would look like. And that would definitely change the whole experience of having this big and bulky stuff. And now I've, I've just been reading about it. Um, Amazon Fashion just launched their shoe, uh, their new a AR product that uh, you would point it to your shoe. Or in the shoe that you're looking at, if you point your feet, you would be able to see it. So definitely it's a game changer. There's a lot of technology around that's developing the last one is social. Uh, Facebook have definitely tried back in 2009 about uh, the marketplace. Fortunately, they weren't as successful, so they pulled it back. And now they've, put it, they've gone all the way, stepped on their gas to go with Facebook marketplace to basically align and complement that strategy of just advertising with additional. And everyone else is doing that with, uh, you can just sell your own, right? Your, your own stuff. You can, you can create your own experience with that social shopping. It has spurred the phenomenon called direct-to-consumer wherein you don't need Amazon, you don't need anything. You can start your own website. You can use the social traffic, all of those posts so that you could drive traffic and then eventually have that e-commerce. So those were the top three things that I've, I've seen, at least in my career. And I think it would continue to evolve in the next five years. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that is a fantastic list. I would echo all three things. And one of those three things I'd like to double down on is the AI slash machine learning because in e-commerce, what I find is there, it is rich with applications, even for companies that think it's technically beyond them. And it often is a product manager thinking about how they might use it. That comes up with incredible, like really profitable innovation for companies. So some examples in the e-commerce realm is using it to decide what is the sort order. You know, so when a customer does a search, how do you decide what sort to show that customer. It's sort of a flavor under personalization, um, but it's a place where I've seen great results with machine learning. And it was product people kind of leading that thinking about, hey, we might try experimenting with that here. Another one is offer management, which is also in that sort of personalization realm. And even like switching out the content that you show for a given offer or item on the website based on what do you know and using the machine to learn it because the machine learning it strips out all of our biases. So I've seen really great results with that as well as with pricing. And then it's funny, like as I thought about other trends, the thing that I obsess on all the time with folks, I confess it's hard to claim that they're newer trends. They're like old classics, but I just find that so many companies still don't do this. So I'm still going to dig into my two standards of one is actually talking to and observing your customers. And there is a lot of new ways. So trends would be there are new ways and new companies coming on all the time to help make it easier for us to do this. But I'm still shocked by how often I will talk to a product manager who wants to tell me how customer obsessed they are. And when I say, oh, that's so great. When was the last time you talked to one? Some of them literally, the answer is never. So I'll always be obsessed with, hey, product people, watch your users use your product. Talk to your customers on a regular basis. It'll change your life. And then the second one is data with impaired with experimentation. And again, I appreciate it's not a trend. It's an old thing as far as ideas go. 
But there are many companies out there and many product people out there working for companies we all respect who still wing it on gut far more than you would possibly imagine. So while they might not be like super cutting edge trends, I'm always going to sort of go back onto those two fundamentals and say the trend should be us all getting better collectively on those two fundamentals. Fantastic. Oh, Jason, what, what would you like to add? Yeah, I just want to 100% on talking to your customers. It's uh, one of the things that really helped me progress in my career is I've done my best to at least save at least 10% of my time to talk to my customers every week. And there's a lot of product. And I've seen this with uh, my peers and even the ones that I've managed. Wherein they would rely on their data on predicting or at least having that particular solutioning or this is the problem because this is the data that I've seen wherein basically Jen, you put in like, when was the last time you talked to your customer, right? And I would always, for me, at least from my experience and what I've seen to be successful is to the data that you've seen is, is more of a proxy to the conversations and then the anecdotes that you've had. So it's it's always those two. So data and then you always have to talk to customer, getting those anecdotes, very much understanding what they're experiencing would always be uh, going to be very helpful and would make product managers successful in the long run. Unbelievable. Well, if anybody is out there and maybe at the closing, Jeff, we can give recommendations for books or guides or tips for how to effectively talk to, or as I like to say, listen to customers, but I'm being pedantic. I'd like to now turn the corner into question and answer land, where uh, both uh, Jason and Jen, we have a folk uh, that are out there in the commenting. First of all, we have Gant, and I will not say last names, just to protect those who are asking questions. So listen closely. How do you figure out who is best in class at something? Is there a consensus on who this is or even how best is defined? So I'm imagining this question was really asked as it references defining your career and and getting that position, whether you're going into e-commerce or trying to establish your role as a product manager. How do you define what is considered to be best in class? And and Jen, given the, the rant and rave around best in class starts with listening to customers, where would you take the question from there? How would you answer this? Yes. Well, I too was remembering how to navigate Clubhouse so I could read the question and try to get back to the chat. Let's see here, because I was realizing I was interpreting that question differently, but let's see if my answer works in both ways. I am a big believer in, so I'm going to focus on best in class from a product experience first, and then we'll come back to best in class for companies that have strong product teams and strong product practices. And stop me if I go too long. So for the first, focusing on a given experience, you know, I focused on taking credit cards earlier or search or those types of capabilities. I am encouraging product managers to make sure that they spend time and product designers to spend time, like, frankly, just using a lot of stuff, like using a lot of websites and apps and those types of things and keeping their eye out for when they they think that something is good. Once they think in their own personal subjective opinion that something is good, then I am a big fan of using user testing to gauge, hey, is it? do other people think this is good? So sometimes I do informal user testing, meaning just with, I usually try to find people in my circle professionally or personally who aren't so close to our work, who could maybe give me a read on whether this thing that I thought was particularly usable was great or not. An example, this is from years ago, because I'm old, you know, when they first had it where you could use your camera on your phone to ingest a credit card 
that was an example where I remember I first found it on Uber one day and was like, oh, hey, this is interesting. Maybe we should do this. And then I just went to a bunch of people and had them play around with it to see if they were finding it as useful as I was finding it. But I also literally will spend a little bit of money on usertesting.com and sites like it to run users through whatever product it is that I'm particularly interested in that moment. And so in this case, this example, it would have been, I would do usertesting.com to run people through Uber's credit card camera feature. People forget that you you can use usertesting.com on any product you want. It doesn't really have to be yours. Um, so that is how I think about best in class in that space, as far as figuring out what are things that we might be influenced by. On the second part, maybe your question was more about best in class from a product approach and strong product teams. For that, I tend to pay attention to company at the company level, sometimes at the group level within a company, and by staying super in touch on LinkedIn and in product conferences and that type of thing, you can sort of see which companies emerge and which companies have thought leaders that you like who are in established positions there. And then I'm a big fan of talk to the people who work there to see if it is if you feel it's a strong product culture that you can learn from versus a product culture that is maybe more nascent where they have a lot of work to do to make it into a strong one. So. I don't know if I've answered either side of your question there, but that's my best guess. <laughs> well, we will know when they respond in the chat, but what I love there is the best-in-class approach to answering any question, which was to try to assume nothing and try to angle it from all sides. Also, I did steer the question in a direction for a lot of the people who are in this audience who are navigating a career and trying to get into product management and want to understand what could set them apart and to tell people, if you want to be a great product manager, it starts by getting out there, hanging out with them, talking to them, going to the conferences, reading up on it, continuously honing your craft. Uh, That, in addition to what you answered, is really the the piece that I think a lot of people don't think about, especially with the virtual world and in-person shifting back to conferences. There's a lot of great opportunities out there. Now, I want to be mindful of time. There's a lot of people with questions. So, uh, Jason, get ready. This next one's for you. It's from Joan. Welcome back to the show. Questions two weeks in a row. Do you see a real distinction between e-commerce and social commerce? What are some of the changes we'll see in e-commerce as a result? Yeah, thanks for that question. For me, I don't, I think before, maybe 10 years before, yes, there would be a difference because you have to basically go on to your to that particular platform. So you've got to go to eBay, you've got to Amazon, you've got to Walmart, you go to the, those particular sites to, to buy it. Now you don't have to, right? We're in a lot of terms of like the social experience where there's a lot of people would just go and, and we know based from user research that there's a lot of people spending time on their phones, especially with their social media. And with that, they can just basically buy. Instagram has done that. Facebook has done that. And with their ability to have a safe and trusted platform for you to put in your credit card to purchase, that has helped everyone to basically see now that the social commerce um, have evolved. Before, you would see it in social or you would see it somewhere, or even you would go to a brick and mortar store. You would see um, this particular computer and then to, to have that experience and then go to Amazon or go to any of those sites that you'd like to buy to and then buy. But now you can go directly. So I think that has evolved in terms of a trend. You can just buy directly. You'd be looking at a particular site. Um, Shopify has been very good with that, wherein you just go into 
any of the sites and, and they would integrate the whole experience when you're reading something. Uh, you can just buy it. You don't have to go to another site to buy. So that's how I would see it in terms of a difference with just e-commerce and then social. Before, to summarize, before there wasn't, but now now there wasn't. It's basically um, the experience is the same. What was the other part of the question? I think it was really just as straightforward as social commerce versus e-commerce. And I think the second part that you're asking about is what are some of the changes we'll see in e-commerce as a result? So knowing what you know, how will that change what e-commerce does going forward? Yeah, I think it would, with the social commerce and in how it changes and uh, very much looking into one of the leader, market share leader, uh, which is basically Meta or Facebook, and with their strategy of dipping into the virtual reality or the metaverse, right? So I think, and that's one of the things that I've, I've mentioned earlier with AR, how does it evolve? I think that particular type of buying experience of how you would be able to or experience that particular product from an online into um, jumping yourself into the metaverse or that that particular buying experience through augmented reality and, and, and other technology that will evolve in the future to basically support that upcoming trend. You know, I have to say, it's just insane to see how fast and how quickly things are evolving. But to, to hear you representing a company, even to see Walmart, you know, I, I don't know whether or not you speak on behalf of Walmart, but as a product manager who thinks about the future, there's just so much amazing potential in the world of commerce. So thank you for the, the person that asked the question. Also, Jen, just to give you some clarity, if you look at the chat and a quick thumb flick to the right, you'll be able to not ruin the <laughs> the uh, Clubhouse AI, UI, sorry. You were spot on. It was about product experience rather than the product manager experience. With that in mind, we have two more questions and then back to some final thoughts as well as potentially stoking controversy. One of the questions is from Wade. Wade, coming in with my question, what is your approach to handling search engine optimization change in relation to your roadmap? So this is a tricky one. If you want to ask a clarifying question, Wade is still here. Again, what is your approach to SEO in relation to your roadmap? And uh, Jason or Jen, which one of you two would want to jump on this? I think it's uh, up in the air grabs for those who have experience with the SEO side of the house. I can start. Yeah, I think that's a good question. And it definitely, as a product manager, you have to really think of that acquisition and activation phase, right? And I think you would have to really think about it. The Google's market share has is, is definitely still very high in terms of driving traffic to a particular product or service for you to purchase. I'm guessing that's basically the question where the question lies, right? Like to 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 funnel, to have the customers come in from the top funnel. So you definitely have to think about it. Um, there's, there's a lot of things wherein you would have to be dependent on not just Google, but any of the crawler bots that would influence the SERP or search engine ranking pages where your product would live into, right? So, so one, yes, definitely think about how the Google crawler bots or any crawler bots would impact your, your pages. So with that, how is content being displayed? Um, this has to be dynamic, it has to be an image, a video. Um, how much would that be? What are the key trending terms? You would have to put in for that content to drive it. So I would pause there, uh, but yes, definitely you have to think about it. There's a lot of things for you to to think about to acquire and funnel in those customers and having the right channel strategy from SEO. I'm guessing free search is definitely something very important. 
Very helpful. And Jen, what, what about you as it relates to the same topic? Yeah, sure. Well, first of all, I know some people can talk about, hey, are we overly dependent on SEO and should we be prioritizing other channels? And while I think that's a meaty topic on its own, I would say for most product managers earlier in their career, that's not the decisions they're going to be super focused on. They're likely going to be tasked with SEO is a really important channel for us, and we need to make sure that we get as much of it as we can. And that takes shape in a couple of different ways that product managers need to think about. One, there are jobs out there where you are an SEO product manager, right? That is your whole gig. And I think what the question may have alluded to from time to time, the algorithm changes, right? We can all name various animals that Google has unleashed on us before and what it does to your life when that was a primary source of demand and how you have to scramble the jets. And the question was about what does it do to your roadmap? I am a huge believer in adaptable roadmaps. And so one of the things I preach pretty routinely is that for companies who get overly locked into their roadmaps, they are making themselves less agile as an organization. And yes, it's annoying to have to interrupt your roadmap to because a whole bunch of new Google changes happened. But if SEO on Google is a big source of demand for you, you should just be prepared for that to be an eventuality as opposed to being shocked by it when it occurs. And then the second flavor, so I talked about dedicated SEO product managers who are absolutely out there. But for many e-commerce product managers, it's more about they have to think about how much to prioritize SEO specific functionality in their portfolio. But it follows the same mechanics for how we prioritize other work, right? For really understanding what is the opportunity here? How much upside do we think is here? How much risk do we think is here? And incorporating it. So for certain product managers, even if they're not dedicated to SEO, especially if their product manager is focused on landing pages, they had better be quite conversant in the current state of SEO best practices. I hope that helps. Absolutely. Although I am checking to see, and uh, Wade has said that <laughs> this is it. The changes is what he was referencing. I love this real time back and forth. It's fantastic to see uh, that we're getting these questions answered. We have one more to go. Amin, you've been on our show in the past. We're excited to have you back. Uh, would love to know what question or insight you'd like to provide. Please, the stage is yours. So I have a question about like students and people trying to get jobs in product management. So uh, one thing that you mentioned, Jenna, is is uh, easiest way to start printing money is to go after that buy button. I know a couple of websites that have the buy button literally. That whole process broke. It. How can I leverage my knowledge into basically um, getting an internship or a job or something in there? Ooh, got cut off at the end there. Uh, did you catch that, Jenna? I think so. Yeah. So, and I hear kind of two pieces of it. I hear the, the, how do you break into product management, you know, which is it's a very competitive field, even though there are many, many jobs open, most of those jobs say they would like you to already have some experience. Um, and we can talk about for another time, if we ever want to do a, another deep dive on that, I imagine you've covered that territory quite a bit already. For this particular instance, I would say I find the companies that have it that badly broken tragically may not be super aware of product management as a thing or even product design as a thing. And I confess, I have not seen repeated good results of companies being approached by a stranger saying, hey, um, I could really make your website better if you just did this one thing or let me attack this one thing for you. I have more results, seen more results and personally experienced more results when I was able to extend over into e-commerce or extend over into product management from another position within an existing company. 
So that's my quick answer. You asked us to keep it tight. That's my tight answer to that specific question. Fantastic. Well, I mean, welcome back to the stage and uh, hopefully we can get you back for future questions. With that in mind, I want to say thank you to everybody who raised their hand as well as those who went into chat and uh, for the brave speakers for taking on unknown questions. This was a live show. There's no prep whatsoever. So with that in mind, Jeff, we're sending it back to you, my friend. And uh, thank you for the opportunity to help support the product management community. All right, Red, thanks for helping us found the Product Management Center here at the University of Washington and making this podcast a reality. You brought on Sumeya, introduced me to Sumeya back in February 2021, and we've been doing this every week since. And Sumeya, I want to give you a chance to go first here. We talked about e-commerce, but this is going to be a little bit, I'm going to give you some space for longer than just as a concluding thought. But I really do want to hear from you one or two things that you heard today that also apply to all the different industries and areas that you've been a product managing and some of the things that one or two things that you found are different. So help people kind of tie a bow on this. What did you find that's similar and what did you find that's different from your experiences? Yeah, I think the two takeaways or two messages that were driven home for me are one, obsession with the customer journey. So every part of what's happening in the in the journey of the customer as they try to buy your products or transact with you or interact with you in any way, whether it's content or or buying anything in their journey is really important. So obsessing about that. And then the second part that I think was a great takeaway came a little bit at the end. It was around the flexibility. So thinking about the risks that can happen to you or that you might have to face. I'm thinking in the commerce world in general, for example, we saw all of us firsthand distribution and supply chain issues happen. And so how can a custom, how can a product manager manage all these external factors, whether it's uh, the Panda algorithm change, which I saw 11 years ago, and it slaughtered a lot of companies. A lot of them went out of business because of an SEO change or other factors. So how do we think about risk as PMs? And how do we plan or mitigate against it or think about experiments we can do ahead or not? You know, what does it mean to be agile in that case when 50% of your business relies on one channel? So those are all thoughts that were going through my head. And I, I've seen them happen in other verticals or industries that are not e-commerce because I really haven't worked in e-commerce at all. So that was in common. I'm going to just highlight one quick difference for me that I, you know, when we think about payment, for example, and the nuance of every single uh, step there, even though we talk about friction as being something we don't want our customer to deal with, I think the advancements and the thing, the integrations that uh, commerce has done with social payment, all that, I haven't seen the parallel to them yet in other industries. So like, for example, medicine, I'm curious to see what ends up happening there. So those were my thoughts as I was listening to Jason and Jenny. And thank you so much for sharing your thoughts. All right. Thank you, Samaya, for that comparison. And let's go in reverse order. I called on Jason first. So Jen, concluding thoughts, what bullet points or takeaways do you want to leave the audience with today? 
Yeah, no, it's a great question. It's hard for those of us who think about this all the time to think about those key things. I think I'll double down on, in addition to be customer obsessed, but do that by actually talking to customers. Do dig into your data and don't think it has to be perfect. Just get started with it. And then as always, focus on the outcomes. It's neat that you think this new thing you're going to do is going to be awesome, but measure it, watch it, learn from it, and then adapt. Those would be my things. All right. Thank you, Jen. Teaching product management here at the University of Washington and then sharing insights here today. Jason, what are your concluding thoughts that you want to leave the audience with? Yeah, thanks, Jeff. So uh, totally agree with Jen. Yeah, be the customer, be the user. Understanding, put yourself in their shoes is definitely something that would help you. And and this is not just with e-commerce in terms of career. I mean, a generalist PM would definitely get you in a long way. Um, I think that's one. And then um, I think the last one is definitely be be on top of all of the changes. There's just so many changes and there's so many trends happening. And I think being a good product manager is being able to catch up on all of those and be externally aware, getting all of those ideas, being able to understand them and then try to invent and have those innovation to be offered to the customer. All right. Thank you, Jason. Red? You stayed silent, but you've transitioned to e-commerce. Are you allowed to share that or do I have to edit that part out? And do you want any concluding thoughts? <laughs> well, that's very kind of you. Yeah, I spent years helping with the mobile product managers of the retail world. And now I am in e-commerce. It's crazy, Jeff, to say that out loud. I'm, I'm not going to divulge my company. You can look it up because as I've said before, and, and I'll say it again, my entire being while on this show and while putting out these podcasts is to help let people in the world know that product management is for you. And there's no reason you cannot do it other than you. And I want to make it easier. So if talking to me about what I do or applying to my company or whatever it is that you want to see to accelerate your career, just know that myself, Sumeya, Jeff are here every Tuesday at 4 p.m. We're in the Slack and we're humans. That's right. Real people, not bots, not AI, although some people thought I might be Jeff in the past. Please message me. Also, fun fact, this is a recorded show. My real birth name starts with a J. I'll say that much. Back to you, Jeff. Ooh, secrets divulge. Tune in next time to find out which J. So, Red, do I get to broadcast where you are so you can stay humble and not be what it's about? Or am I supposed to keep it quiet and make people do a couple searches? <laughs> it's whatever you find to be helpful to the product <laughs> management community and to give you a giggle. It's all you, babe. You all gave you. me the giggle. Yes, Red, it's, you know, you worked at Eptemptive. We're so grateful that Eptemptive continues to sponsor this podcast and uh, give us the financial resources to keep editing it and putting it out for everybody to listen to. And grateful they're still doing that. And now you're at Stackline, which is a f full funnel connected commerce platform, right? Did I get that right? We call it FC squared over here to sound like cool, okay. you know, millennials, but uh, yes, you, you nailed it, Jeff. <laughs> awesome. Right in. So I had to tie that in, dude. We're, have, we're talking about e-commerce. You're now in sales at an e-commerce company, Stackline. So anyway, but that's not what it's about for you, not what it's about for me. For me, what this is all about is making sure that knowledge is more accessible and that communities are more inclusive. And so I'm grateful that Red and Sumeya are here every single week bringing insights of their own and bringing together 
some fantastic leaders such as Jason and Jen, uh, bringing them together in community with all of you and making their knowledge and their experiences open so that you could learn from them and either make your way into product management or if you're already here to know that you have a home and to know that you have a resource here at the Product Management Center at the University of Washington that wants to see you succeed and wants to see you succeed developing innovations that are inclusive to diverse audiences. We really think that you know the standard success metrics are wins for your business, wins for your customers, and what better way to do that than to have an inclusion mindset where you're bringing in more perspectives into the analysis and when you're bringing in more perspectives and thinking about a broader set of customers than technology has previously thought about before. That is how you win. It's a moral imperative in its own right, but inclusion is a way to victory, the kind of victories that you're looking for or have been looking for as a product manager. So Jason, Jen, thank you for being here. Everybody else, we will hear you next week here on How to Succeed in Product Management.